episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today. I'm Alex Mellers. And I'm Tai Seifu. And this week, before we get into all the hockey talk, I just wanted to talk about a dream that I just had last night. Because it is one of the greatest dreams that I've ever had. And I didn't tell you I was going to start the show with it, but I'm starting with it anyway. So basically, the premise was a scavenger hunt in teams of three where they don't tell you beforehand, but you're only allowed to find the things that start with the same letter as one of your team members' names. So like basically if all your names start with J, maybe you could like make trades with other teams, trading team members, or maybe you're just out of luck and you can only find things that start with J. And I think this is an excellent idea that I had somehow, and it must eventually be put into action. Okay. All right. That's, uh, that's certainly an interesting one, uh, I gotta say. And uh, wait, so wait, do you just, it's like first to find like 10 items or is there like a specific list? What's going on there? Yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm pretty sure there's like a specific list of things, but I guess, I don't know, there doesn't necessarily have to be because like, say, say your name starts with a Q, you might think first of all, like, oh, I guess, I guess we're kind of out of luck because not many things start with a Q. But on the other hand, if there is anything on the list that starts with a Q, then all of a sudden you probably have monopoly on it because no one else is going to be able to claim it. So like on the other hand, if there's not specific things you have to find, then then what are you doing? You just like go into stores and buy anything that starts with your letter. I don't really know. Okay, well this is certainly an interesting concept, and uh, if you can hammer out the all the little details, perhaps we can uh, we can get a bunch of people and start and actually play the thing. All right. I don't know. Seems like a lot of work. Perhaps. All right. So let's get into the hockey news, shall we? Sure. Okay. So uh, as we get closer to the playing games and the schedule and all that, uh, the NHL has released another set of dates. uh, And this time it's those exhibition games. And so I think each team plays once and they're going to be going on starting in only nine days away from the 28th to the 30th. The Habs play on the first day on the 28th. Uh, and we see them play the Maple Leafs. And so we're seeing the first of NHL action after, what, a four or five-month hiatus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so July 28th, uh, another concrete date. We're always talking about concrete dates. It's only nine days away. Uh, the first preseason game is Pittsburgh-Philadelphia at 4 p.m. Eastern on July 28th. And then Montreal plays Toronto, as you just mentioned, four hours later, and each team gets one game. Also, uh the I think last time I checked, the first five days of actual games now have set times as well. Uh, and I think actually now I'm looking at it, yeah, it's still just the first five days, at least on Cap Friendly. And Montreal's games against Pittsburgh are all scheduled at 8 p.m., at least the first three. All right, that's a solid, I would call that a pretty prime time slot. Uh, as prime time as you can get with these time slots. And this is going to be interesting with these exhibition games. I'm interested to see how they can manage the turnover in these arenas, right? Because there's only one rink in every hub city that they're going to be playing on. And what, four, there's there's four hours between each start time. So, for example, on, on the Wednesday, the 29th, you have a 12 o'clock game in Toronto and then a four o'clock game 
and an 8 o'clock game. Now I'm interested, are they able to start on time? Uh, do, can they get everything right? Will there be any, like, I don't know, twists or any complaints coming from the players in the later games? That's what I'll be looking out to see. That's probably one of the bigger points in the exhibition games, and, and that's, yeah, that's, that's what I'll be keeping my eye on. Yeah, there's, actually, there's one of that on the first day also with the 4 o'clock Pittsburgh-Philadelphia to the four hours later Toronto-Montreal. I know maybe it's a little different if you just have those two games as opposed to the next day where you have the three games. It may add a little bit of an extra challenge, but they're, I guess you could say, testing themselves right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm sure the the ice crew and all that, um, the Zamboni drivers, they'll all be in uh, for quite a big job, making sure that, you know, they meet the quality standards for every single one of them. Uh, talking about hub cities, uh, we saw some some interesting uh, weather news coming from Edmonton. And uh, yeah, apparently part of the roof collapsed on the Rogers Arena. There's one sign that we could see from the weather that maybe we shouldn't be happening. We shouldn't have, be having this tournament. It's they, they collapsed the building. At least partially. Yeah. I, I only saw like a little bit of the video because it looked, looked flooded. And I don't think the NHL is changing their plans for any reason. I think they expect they're going to be able to work everything out. Uh, I don't know. Because really not many details have been released about it, which I guess you can understand. They probably want to keep a lot of it pretty much well concealed, especially if they intend on following through with it. But I don't know if there's any, like what other possible possible like threats or challenges this could pose to getting the game started on time and getting everything running smoothly and it's it's, it's absolutely absurd i mean like we're like a couple of weeks away it seems the whole thing the whole plan is set and then all of a sudden it rains hard in edmonton and part of your fucking roof collapses in your arena as you said i don't believe it's going to impact anything i think they said that it wasn't going to influence like it wasn't going to impact the actual like playing surface it didn't well, just like in in the in like some mezzanine or whatever, and so now that there there are going to be no fans in attendance, it shouldn't pose a problem. But you know, it's just one of those headlines. It's completely absurd, uh, and you know, twenty twenty throws us yet another twist. Yeah, I just wanted to make a a little bit of a correction to something you said a minute ago, just because I don't want anyone to yell at you. Uh, this is Rogers Place in Edmonton. Rogers Arena is the one that's in Vancouver. So a little bit of confusion, perhaps for us that. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you could make the names a little bit more different than that. Okay. Noted, noted. All right, so yeah. let's get on to the Habs talk. A couple of yes, points uh, with uh, relating to the restart and how the roster is going to look uh, once we get started with a play against Pittsburgh. Yeah, all reports are Yusperi Kakanyemi looks better than he ever has before. I think apparently he worked with a skating coach in Finland, and we both know that skating was never a strong point in his game. So if he can, you know, if that's turned up a couple notches, then he's all the more dangerous. And not to mention, he's he's still ni- 19 years old only, right? Yeah, yeah, he turned, oh, hmm. Or maybe he's almost 20. His birthday is in July, I remember. So he might be 20 now, but just barely. And so that's still a very young player. Anyone at that age still has a lot of room to grow. And apparently over these last couple months, he has grown a lot. So that's probably the player I'm most excited to see on the ice in action, playing for the Canadians in this in this play-in round to see how much better he's gotten over the last several months. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kotkaniemi was having a tough season, uh, right? He was sent down to the AHL at a certain point. I think he had some injury problems. Well, you know, when you when you hear these kind of reports, you get very excited because, you know, as you said, he's still very much a prospect. But, you know, as a third overall pick, the expectations are high. And uh, I mean, you love to hear this kind of stuff, right? Uh, he's clearly identified that skating was not a great part of his game. 
got himself a skating coach and worked on it over an extensive period of time. And for all reports, he sounds great. Uh, apparently, Claude Julian is impressed with the progress he's made. And, I mean, that's just that, that's just great news. And as someone who was pretty concerned with the, you know, the developmental path of this guy uh, after this season, this certainly sounds some good news. And, I mean, if, he turns, if, if we see a drastic improvement, uh, even with this, you know, this short, uh, this small sample size, I mean, I'll, I'll still get hell excited uh, because this guy seems to be a major part of the Habs' future. Yeah, I do still want to take these reports maybe with a little bit of a grain of salt because with these reporters that are really closely, you know, closely entangled, I guess, with the Canadians on a constant basis, sometimes you'll tend to exaggerate a little bit. Like like one example of this, I don't remember the reporter, but a couple days ago, um, a Canucks reporter was talking about how Louis Erickson looks fantastic. He's winning every single puck battle along the boards. So maybe it'll be like, I don't know, pump the brakes there a little bit on Louis Erickson. I don't think Canucks fans, they have several other things they can get excited about before they'll, before they'll lose any sleep over Louis Erickson's fantastic abilities. Yeah, but, you know, I, well, like, the, the way we'll prove it, the one way we'll see is how he does on the ice, both in the playing exactly. series and, and when we start the next season, whenever that is. Right. And yeah, sure. These reports, we can take them with a grain of salt. But, uh, you know, that's all I want to see. I want to see how he does on the ice uh, in actual games. And if he really did take a step, I think we'll be able to see it, especially considering, you know, how disappointing it was uh, in the regular season. Mm -hmm. As of this very moment, we still don't know if Max Domi is going to be joining the Canadians. But it was it was exactly a week ago that they said seven to ten days for the decision to be made. So there's a chance it'll come out today or by Wednesday. So by next week we will know. Either way, uh, actually, I mean, if he doesn't, if he doesn't, um, if he doesn't turn out playing, then Jesperi Kakaniemi kind of filling in as a as a replacement per se, uh, as that third line center, which is a role he did occupy for a long time with Suzuki now kind of you know taking control of that second line center position. I think it shapes up pretty nicely. And even if Domi does end up playing for this for this team, then I wouldn't be surprised to see. Domi maybe move to the the left wing on the second line, say, so that you can keep Suzuki and Kakanyemi in the middle on the second and third line. Yeah, for once, there seems to be a, a bit of an overload in young centers uh, in Montreal system, something that we haven't heard, you know, in a long time. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting how Claude Julien, if Domi does end up playing, you do end up having a glut of good young centers. And how he manages it is, you know, something to keep an eye on. Yeah, um, another very, I guess, maybe an interesting lineup decision that Claude Julien will have to make is third pair right defense, which is not necessarily the, the flashiest position no matter who they choose, but it seems that the favorite at this point is Christian Folin, who we have spent a fair amount of time uh, announcing our disapproval of, dating really all the way back to the beginning of this podcast, back in like, you know, the early season days. And I read an article recently on The Athletic by Arpan Basu, who was talking about why Christian Folin is almost definitely the wrong choice to play there because he has virtually no, he never pushes the pace offensively. And whenever there's a goal against and he's on the ice, he's almost always directly involved in it and made some sort of mistake. So that's never a good recipe, especially for a defenseman. So honestly, I would prefer, and I think you would probably agree with me, and most Canadians fans would agree with me, that putting someone like Kale Fleury on that pair, who we were relatively impressed with when he played a little early on in the season, maybe he 
slowed down a little bit as it went on and wasn't ready for the full season. But this isn't a full season, so I'd like to see Kale Flurry up again or Noah Juleson, who just came back from from another uh, injury plagued season. He got managed to get in one game with the Rocket before the season got canceled in the AHL, and apparently he's impressed Claude Julien too. So I wouldn't mind to see him get a shot instead of Christian Folan on that bottom pair, or even if you want to play like Xavier Willette on his offside. Uh, then I wouldn't be totally opposed to that. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a head-scratcher. I'm not sure what Claude Julien sees in Christian Fallen because, as you mentioned, this guy doesn't really bring much to the table. Uh, and so, you know, even even if we are talking about the really the, the bottom parts of the lineup here, third-pairing defenseman, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's the, look, I don't understand why you don't pick uh, one of the alternatives, whether it be Fleury or Julson, because while, you know, both of them are young, they're kind of question marks. Fallen is more of a known quantity, and, you know, it's a known quantity that I don't really like. And so, you know, Flurry, Jolson, they also, you know, they could use the playoff experience, both very young players, you know. I mean, you know, they're, they're relatively young, especially compared to Fallen. And so I think they could both benefit from the playoff experience. And, yeah, and I see this, and I, I, I wonder why Fallen. I think he's currently the front runner for that position, and I'm not really sure why. If I could make a little bit of an, an analogy here, I watched I watched Hamilton on Disney Plus a couple nights ago for the first time, and I loved it. And I don't know if you're familiar with the story or the, the life of Alexander Hamilton, but basically he had been kind of enemies with Thomas Jefferson for an extended period of time. And when Thomas Jefferson was running against Aaron Burr for the presidency in 1800, he ended up endorsing Jefferson anyway, just because he knew all of Jefferson's viewpoints and Aaron Burr basically didn't disclose any information because he didn't want to to isolate anybody but which ended up not working so this kind of reminds me of of uh, of this Christian Fullen situation in some ways because Thomas Jefferson uh, Hamilton is thinking like oh uh, I don't like any of your opinions but at least you're a known quantity at least I know what you are and what you're going to do and it's a similar thing here oh I don't like the way Christian Fullen plays but at least I know how he plays whereas with Noah Juleson and Kale Fleury they're, I guess, more of question marks, which is maybe the, the logic that's going on in Claude Julien's head, even though it doesn't really track with me. Yeah, I guess if he wants more of a stable system, I guess he wants to plan out for this Pittsburgh series. But but even then, I just I don't agree with it, right? He's not, well, Christian Fall, we've talked about it all season, he's not a very good defenseman. And, you know, uh, Fleury and Juleson, from what I saw, like Fleury wasn't terrible. Juleson, we don't know what's up with him, but, you know, First out pick, and he hasn't really had a chance at the NHL. He's had he played some games, but not too many. And yeah, I, I don't understand why you don't just throw them in. If it doesn't work out, well, you can change. It. I understand it's you know five game series maximum, very small number of games, but you know it still leaves some room for a you know adjustment on the fly in terms of from a game to game uh, as game to game perspective. And you know I don't see any harm in playing Flurry or Juleson for limited minutes in game one. If they do great, great. You just continue keep keep on doing that. And if they tank, well, then you can swap out the other guy. Or if you really want to go, if you really want to go to Fallen, go then. But you know, starting the series with Christian Fallen, you know, at that point, I don't, I don't see him getting swapped out, and I don't think it's a very good decision. Uh, yeah. I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised whoever they start in that position to see them eventually swap it out for one of the other guys, even if it is Fallen, like. Sometimes those players on the fringe, even if they 
don't you know totally blow it if they perform decently you want to just get fresh legs in there sometimes a lot of coaches don't like to keep the exact same lineup for an extended period of time and like five game series isn't necessarily an, ex- an extended period of time but maybe in a short playing series you want to try to get fresh fresh legs in there as often as possible well you know everybody's legs are fresh i'd say uh, after four or five months of rest <laughs> but yeah no I, I i get your point but uh, look, either way, I just I don't want to see Fallen start. I just I don't want to see him on the ice. He's not very Me good. Either. I don't care if he's swapped out. I don't want him to start the series. That's that's all. If if Flurry and Nielsen are really if they 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 get a shot and they really are that bad, fine. But I don't think they're that bad. I don't think they're Fallen level. Like Fallen's hardly. He's a very very fringe NHL player. And Flurry and Nielsen, we don't know what they are yet. And it's back to the question marks. I don't understand why you don't give them a chance. People forget, like Noah Juleson had pretty much won a roster spot on that bottom third pair by the end of the 17-18 season. He was playing there very consistently on that third pair on the right side behind Weber and Petrie, and it seemed like Weber, Petrie, Juleson was going to be the the right side for for the for the you know for the foreseeable future. And then when Juleson started running into the injury troubles, that's when it kind of you know that side kind of opened up, and they've had multiple players circle through in the rotation since then. So I feel like the plan has always been for Noah Juleson to get healthy again and take that role back. And now it's just, he has, you know, a little more competition, but I feel like that's like their ideal scenario is for Noah Juleson to be ready to take that spot back and earn it and play there. Yeah. Now that, you know, Juleson's uh, development kind of went off the rails the last couple of years with the injuries, as you mentioned. And, you know, this is as good a time as ever to get, to try to get it back on track. Right. Mm-hmm. And to have full in play, it just, it just, yeah, I don't, I don't know why you stunt, you, you know, stunt your jewels and develop in any sort of way. Uh, and yeah, throw him out there, see how, see how he is. I, I really don't see the harm in that. I just, I wish Romanov were eligible to play. That would make this so oh. much more exciting and so much more easier. But I, I still don't really understand why they ruled against these players playing this season. Like Romanov's not the only one. He, he officially signed his contract. Uh, like a couple of days ago with Montreal. And it's, I think it was a three-year contract. So basically what happens is like, this is the first season. So it burns a year of this contract, even though he's not even allowed to play this year. So he has two years after this before he's an RFA. It's the same story with Kirill Kaprizov with Minnesota, who's uh, probably going to do a lot, probably honestly might be Minnesota's best forward immediately next season, as soon as he starts playing. And it's a similar situation for Ilya Sorokin. The, the stud goalie with the Island, Islanders now, except he actually only signed a one-year deal for this season that he wasn't allowed to play in anyway. And then like two days later, signed a one-year extension. So like his name was right on top of his own name, like back-to-back times on Cap Friendly. And I don't know if I'd ever seen that before. Yeah, I, I really don't understand the logic the NHL is using by not letting these guys play. I mean, in a typical season, right, these people, these players would be eligible, right? Uh, you know, we've, we've seen it time to time. Uh, players come over from Europe. They sign their entry-level contracts with their with their teams. And they're able to play in the playoffs. And I understand that it's a crazy year. But I don't understand how this crazy year makes it so that these players should be ineligible. I, don't, I really don't see the reasoning uh, on behalf of the NHL. And it screws off, you know, Minnesota and, and the Habs uh, when they're not able to play Romanov. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Minnesota should be definitely the most upset about this because Kaprizov would be a big needle mover. At least he's projected to be. And he would probably go onto that top line right away and he would make a big difference against the Canucks, which is a series that 
Minnesota is probably the underdog in, uh, and Kaprizov might move the needle that way. And not to mention Sorokin too. I feel like the the Islanders, like Sorokin, I think he would probably be the the best goalie on that team right away. I think the plan is for him to take over as the starter next year. Thomas Grice is a free agent. They probably won't bring him back. They'll probably have Sorokin as the starter and or maybe like a 1A, 1B with him and Semyon Varlamov for the next however long Varlamov is signed to. Yeah, and so do you, Do we see, have you gotten any reasoning as to why that why they disallowed all these players from playing? Do you have any sort uh, of idea? I mean, I can't think of anything. Barely, but like, okay, when you, if you think of it, like normally these these Russian players, their contracts expire April 30th, so they wouldn't be joining these teams until like the second round of the playoffs. And when you factor in this playing series, that's when you're more or less 40% into the playoff run that they would make it as opposed to now it would be the full time. It would be the hundred percent. So that's like the only thing I can think of is like, they wouldn't have joined them for the beginning. They would have only been able to join halfway through. And so if we, if they wouldn't have been there the whole time anyway, then we'll say now uh, you're not allowed to be there at all, as opposed to you can be there the whole time when you otherwise wouldn't have. That's basically the only thing I can come up with. And it's an argument that I don't agree with at all. I think that these players are signed to deals for this season, so they should be able to play. It should be that simple. Like I understand all pandemic, strange scenarios. You have to, I like that they committed one way or the other and just made a decision on it. I just think it was the wrong one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's kind of absurd. They're under contract. They're all signed. This year counts, right? They're burning the year, and yet they can't play. They're not allowed to play in the playoffs. Uh, and yeah, it just seems a little a little crazy to me that that's that's the way it goes. It just really doesn't make any sense, especially when you're considering that they are burning that year of the contract. The fact that they aren't allowed to play, uh, I, it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I want to point out also like it probably won't be long till we start seeing these um, thirty one man rosters finalized. Um, I've seen like a couple of training camp rosters floating around. If you go on Cap Friendly on the depth charts page, you'll see in like the the healthy scratches position where they usually have like two or three players. You got a list of like 12, 13 guys who are all at training camp now. Um, so and I noticed that on Montreal. Uh, Lucas Vedemo isn't there, and guys like uh, Alex Belzile, Laurent Dauphin are at camp, and I'm pretty sure, if if I'm reading Cat Friendly correctly, Lucas Vedemo isn't, which I thought, I don't know, a little bit interesting, considering I would have assumed you take the relatively young guy who's played a little bit in the NHL this season ahead of, uh, however old he is, 28-year-old Alex Belzile or Laurent Dauphin, who's kind of you know newer and hasn't played in the NHL in a while. Yeah. Kind of a, it's kind of one of those names where you're like, oh, well, what's the deal there? Uh, I'm not sure. I guess, I guess the, I mean, it's just, it just seems like a management decision where they decided, oh, maybe he really didn't impress when he made his little stint in the NHL this season, and they decided to keep him off the roster. Why? I don't know. This guy's 24, and he's already played in the NHL. I don't understand why you don't give him a shot at camp. Oh, he's already 24. Uh, yeah, he's 24. And uh, Oh, I thought he was a little younger. But, uh, look... These are fringe-level guys. Uh, I don't think any of them, whether it's Belzeal, Dauphin, or even if Vedemo made cap, I doubt any of them would actually end up making a 31-man roster. But yeah, in terms of prospect or whatever development, if you can still call them that at the age of 24, something to know. I probably, I think I would have probably uh, at least thought really hard about putting Lucas Vedemo on the 
the twenty the thirty one man roster, especially if if Domi and ends up opting out, because you probably want to have like I think a good balance to have would be like three goalies, ten defensemen, and eighteen forwards. So that's like two full extra lines of forwards. So if I'm just running through fast here, looking at the, the page, Tatar, Dino, Gallagher, Druan, Suzuki, Armia, Lekkinen, Kakanimi, Byron, Wheel, Evans, Dale Weiss, and say Domi's there, then you've got Domi, Paling, Charles Udon, and then look, the only other guys here are Alex Belzil and Laurent Dauphin. So they'll probably be going with 17 forwards, 11 defensemen, if we're going by here. And then if Domi ends up opting out, then maybe you do have to like reach off of this roster and take someone like Lucas Vedemo or Joseph Blandisi. I'm not really sure how the numbers are all going to end up working out with, if Domi's there, Domi's not there. Uh, if Cap Friendly's right about like what the camp roster looks like, or if they would end up going only with four extra forwards, which I don't think they necessarily would. So all things to to look at and keep an eye on. Montreal is one of the more confusing teams. Yeah, and now that you put it like that, and you actually put the lay the numbers out, the names and all that, yeah, maybe it would have made sense. But I guess they prefer. I mean, this seems like one of those management things where they prefer both of those players, right? Belzil and yeah. Dauphin. Belzil, I'm not really sure why, but it just seems like that's the way it is. They prefer both of those players, and I mean, they certainly get a better look at them than we do, right? And so, eh, I'm not too concerned about it, but yeah, yeah, it makes you wonder a bit. I was a big fan of Belzil in the preseason, which seems like a long time. Actually, it was a long time ago. It was like 10 months ago, the season's preseason. And I remember we were both really impressed with Alex Belzil, who had been on an AHL-only contract the year before, and they signed him to an NHL deal. And it was probably just, you know, presumably to play in the AHL again, which is what ended up happening. But I remember he played really well in the preseason, scored a couple of goals, seemed to push the pace nice, like a tenacious style of, style of player. And so I'm, I'm not I'm not too upset to see him get a shot at this training camp. Not, I don't think he'll get into a game, but it's nice to see him get this opportunity anyway. Yeah, and we never know, right? With this, with this pandemic, who knows if there's any sort of outbreak? Hopefully there isn't any. But, you know, some players drop out. And not only that, you also have to consider the rust factor, right? They haven't played in a long time. We might see some injuries come out. Uh, and then, and then so who knows? Maybe we'll see Alex, Alex Belzeal playing against the Penguins, in which case yep. I think the Hazards are screwed. But, <laughs> hey, we'll get some playoff time. We don't need Alex Belzeal to play for us to be screwed against the Penguins. True. Very good point. All right. Uh, so that's, that's the Habs roster talk. Uh, what a couple of other points uh, from the NHL in terms of news. We talked about Minnesota earlier, and uh, it looks like they've renewed. I think they slapped the interim tag on Dina Vason when they installed him as their coach this season uh, after they fired, I think it was Bruce Boudreau, and they've given him an extension, two years, and I think they've removed the interim tag. He looks like to be the coach of the near future for them. Yep. Uh, that's what they, that's what they've done. Uh, not a super surprising move. I mean, we talked last week when the Devils hired Lindy Ruff about like, oh, but there were these other guys, Laviolette, Gerard Gallant, who you know maybe Minnesota could have taken a look at. But I mean, if you wanna if you wanna bring up the financial thing again, then you can. But also the fact that like Minnesota, I don't remember if I'm like making this up or not, but I feel like there was definitely a a storyline where they started, where they were overachieving for a big chunk of the season. And especially after Vason took over, they were kind of rocketing up the standings and it looks like they were climbing towards a, a playoff spot. So if Vason if really like struck a chord with this group from the get go, then you want to commit to him for another two years. Then, I mean, 
the the results are there. He performed well right away. So so he's he's proven himself at least for a small sample size. Yeah, I mean this Minnesota team, uh, as we keep saying, you know, it's fucking mediocrity personified. And uh, but they, you know, they managed to stick around the playoff bubble, and I give them credit for that because I didn't expect them to, frankly, because that team, that roster, is not very good. And you know, I, I Dean Vincent came in. Uh, allowed them to tread water. They were kind of in the playoff bubble, as I said. And if they like what they saw, uh, how he interacted with management, and apparently that's the case. I mean, I don't really have any problems with keeping him. I know they didn't keep Nazardine in the in the Devils organization, but the Wild seemed to like what they got with Avesan. And keeping him, I I mean, if you like who you got, what you got, if if it ain't broke, I don't see the I don't see a need to fix it. And so yeah, seems like. Your run-of-the-mill coaching move. This does sound a kind of maybe feel like a gap coach kind of thing. We've talked about that term a little bit last week. Like Bill Guerin does want to rebuild, I think, to some extent with the Wild. I think the Jason Zucker trade showed that, and uh, some comments about how I don't like I don't know the team is overachieving, like do, performing much better than he, he expected. But when you've got this aging core that isn't even necessarily a star core anyway. And that's the smart thing to do. The thing about rebuilding, and if you're hoping to get a lot of draft picks, high draft picks within the next couple of years, and maybe uh, t- two years from now when Dean Evason's contract is up, and you want to start, I don't know, heading heading towards maybe Stanley Cup contention two years from now, and you want to start looking in a different direction, maybe a more Gerard Gallant or Peter, Peter Laviolette type of guy, then it might make sense to at that point. Yeah. He, I mean, Dino Vesson absolutely screams gap coach. Uh, cheap guy who seems to get along well with his players, gets along well with management, and so he's just a dude, right? You ask you ask any, really any fan that doesn't live in Minnesota, probably couldn't tell you who Dino Vesson is, but he works. He's nothing special, but he works. And for a rebuilding team, or at least what if that's what they're going for, it's a, it's a, it's a name. It's a name, and it's a name that nobody really has a problem with. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other the other big news that has been kind of trickling out over the week is awards finalists. We did our, our little mock awards ballots a couple weeks ago, and now the actual three finalists are coming out for, so far, six awards. Uh, I would say, yeah, not really surprises, I guess. Uh, do we want to start with the, the Lady Bing? Because that one actually started getting some, some, I don't know, people were talking about it, probably for the wrong reasons. Uh, the finalists are Nathan McKinnon, Ryan O'Reilly, and Austin Matthews. And I want to remind you that the definition of this award is more or less player who, who, who portrays, not portrays, but shows gentlemanly conduct on the ice. And uh, need I remind you about uh, an Austin Matthews incident last summer involving a, a security guard. Um, so that's what, so a lot of people were, you know, kind of, not too pleased about that. And I would say I'm in that group as well. Like it seems pretty tone deaf to nominate Austin Matthews for this award. Like usually it always like the finalists are always forwards who score a lot. who get very few penalty minutes and they see, Oh, these three players fit that bill. So I guess we're nominating for them for this award. And it's just very, I feel like whoever the people who voted for Matthews knew it was definitely several people for him to be a finalist probably should have thought that one through a little bit more. Yeah, out of all the nominations that we've seen, this one's definitely a head-scratcher. I mean, the Lady Bing, already kind of a, uh, a fringe trophy. Uh, and, you know, there's lots of 
players who score goals and don't get penalties, uh, fuck, you could nominate Connor McDavid for this and nobody would have a problem with it. And so, yeah, you had lots of options. And the fact that a bunch of them picked Austin Matthews, frankly, it's, yeah, as you said, it's tone deaf. I mean, I, I just, everybody, it was a big scandal, basically. You know, what when it happened, uh, that incident that happened over the summer. And, I mean, I guess th- these people have no sort of short-term memory because, yeah, I mean, it just, it seemed like the, you usually you see a bunch of Lady Bing Memorial uh, nominations. Nobody really gives a shit. But the fact that, you know, people notice this, people notice that it doesn't seem like the right move, uh, doesn't smell great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if the Lady Bing is getting th- this many people talking about it, then uh, that probably means they did something wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this Austin Matthews nomination definitely feels that way. Because as I said, lots of other fucking players you could have picked and nobody would have given a shit yet again this year. And then you had to go with a guy who had a scandal less than, what, 12 months ago? Eh, I don't like it. Yeah, not even just that they nominated him, but that it was within the very same season that this news broke. It just, it all, it just, it's not right. It's not right, in, uh, in my opinion. Uh, the other trophy, on the smaller end of things, is the Bill Masterton, which is an award for dedication, per, or perseverance and dedication to hockey is the main definition. But it's evolved over the years into, as Andrew Berkshire put it, competitive struggling. Uh, just to put it into perspective, the three finalists are Stephen Johns, Oscar Lindblom, and Bobby Ryan. So three guys who have obviously been going through hardships, tremendous hardships in their lives over the past period of time. Um, I think this award's probably going to end up going to, to Bobby Ryan just because he has had the comeback. He scored the that hat trick in that first game. Uh, Oscar Lindblom, I think uh, when he when he returns next season, then it's definitely going to be his for ne- for next year. But just because he hasn't returned yet, I feel like um, like it's this, maybe next season is where where he's going to take the Masterton. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird award, isn't it? The Masterton, uh, uh-huh. as you said, competitive struggling, who suffered the most over the course of the season. And uh, I mean, I guess I guess I kind of get it. You want to spotlight the the struggle that these guys went, and you want to recognize that you know they're still committed to hockey. But still, it just feels kind of weird to honor, you know, people's struggles. It just, it just doesn't, it's a, it's a strange award. And, uh, yeah, I mean, feel good stories for definitely for Bobby Ryan. I mean, as you said, the hat trick was something special for them this season. It was one of the, it was a highlight moment and sure. It was about Masterton. Sure. Good for him. And as I said about the lady ring, it's kind of a trophy that nobody really gives a shit about, but you know, we talk about it this time of year and if you, congrats to whoever ends up winning in advance. Jack Adams Trophy. Uh, three finalists are Bruce Cassidy, John Tortorella, and Alain Vigneault. Uh, my vote would go to Bruce Cassidy, similar to exactly what I said on our awards mock awards ballot a couple weeks ago. The other two guys, I'm pretty sure you had both of them on your ballot. At least you had Vigneault on your ballot because you were kind of playing more into what actually usually ends up happening with its award, which is team that was good that we didn't expect to be. Yeah, I mean, the, no no huge surprises here. A couple of names that you could have possibly seen, you know, Mike Sullivan from Pittsburgh. I think you had Jared Bednar from Colorado on your ballot. And if we'd seen either of those guys and you replaced a couple of these guys on this ballot here, uh, I, no, I don't think anybody would have a problem. I think uh, all five of those coaches, very well deserving. And I mean, yeah. By, by the definition that has won the award the last few years, 
I'd expect Alain Vigneault to win. But if Bruce Cassidy does end up taking the cake, I mean, I'm not going to throw a fit about it. He did coach a great Bruins team who made the cup final this year. Best team in the league this year in the regular season by far. And so, yeah, give the Jack Adams to any of these people, even Tortorella. Fuck. And, I mean, I think they're all well-deserving candidates. No, Tortorella does not deserve the Jack Adams. And I think, like, if he wins this year, then he'd be, like, the second coach ever to win it three times, which is just nuts because this Columbus team staying afloat with all these injuries was pretty much all the doing of Elvis Merzlikens and Jonas Corposalo. Like, and also Seth Jones was what kept him afloat for most of it. It was those three guys. Then, if you'll remember, when Seth Jones went down at the beginning of February, or in the middle of February, at that point, Columbus had a pretty firm grip on the playoff spot, and then they just started sliding, sliding, sliding. And now we see that uh, by points percentage, they are actually outside a playoff spot. They're, they're ninth in the East. So John Tortorella, I think, didn't have very much to do with that Columbus team staying afloat with all those injuries. So I would not approve if he ends up being the winner. Alrighty, uh, moving on. Another trophy. Uh, we have the Vesna, and so the three are Hellebuck, Rask, and Vasilevsky. And if did I have was that my ballot? Was that exactly what I had? That was exactly what you had. And I read that, and I was like, wait a second. There's no Ben Bishop, which I was. As shocked about that you didn't have Ben Bishop on your ballot as I was. Actually, no, I was probably more shocked that the NHL didn't have it on the official ballot because Ben Bishop had a phenomenal season for the second season in a row. And I, in my opinion at least, he was decidedly better than Andre Vasilevsky. Uh, Vasilevsky, I mean, it can be kind of hard to tell with obviously such a great team in front of you uh, because sometimes the metrics don't reveal like exactly how good you were and how valuable you were to the team. But I feel like Ben Bishop was decidedly the Dallas Stars MVP and at least one of the top three goalies in the NHL. I think in this case, Vasilevsky decidedly benefited from the fact that the Lightning didn't get much of the spotlight this season. And Dallas didn't. I mean, they were a playoff team. They were a playoff team throughout the season. Uh, and Bishop played fantastic. But the fact is, they didn't really get much media coverage. I'm not sure who votes for the Vezina, But either way... I think it's I mean, the GMs. The light is the GMs. Okay, but even then, I mean, I'm sure they're inf- influenced by how much media coverage there is. That's like joke. Uh, they watch the headlines. They read the headlines. They do the whole thing. And so, yeah, that's why you know Vasilevsky, flashy name. Ben Bishop, Dallas Stars, not such a flashy team. And so I think in terms of reasoning why Vasilevsky took it over Bishop, I think I wouldn't neglect that factor. Nah. All right. Uh, next award is the Ted Lindsay, uh, which is obviously most valuable as voted by the players. So sometimes this is like heart trophy for the guy who didn't win the heart trophy. Sometimes it's the same guy who wins both. Uh, the finalists for the Lindsay this year are Dreisaitl, McKinnon, Panarin. So I wouldn't personally would not be surprised to see the exact same three guys uh, be the finalists for the heart trophy whenever that gets announced. Um, so I feel, I don't know how much thought the players uh, really put into this this voting or if they just kind of kind of kind of get the impression that they look at the top of the scoring charts and just pick like three of the top five guys every year either that or they they get a gauge on like the heart trophy discussion and just go with their gut that's probably what most of the guys do yeah i can't imagine they put too much thought into it right if you imagine you're an nhl player you got a whole bunch of shit going on and you know they hand you a ballot who do you think is the mvp yeah, maybe you look at take a, you take a glance at the numbers and you think about you know who was hard to play against this season. 
and you vote from there. I can't imagine anybody's doing the advanced analytics research or any of that. And so, yeah, these three names, uh, pretty big, you know, pretty big names in terms of, you know, hard conversations this season. And so to see them as the nominees for the Ted Lindsay, not surprising at all. Uh, I still think Connor Hellebuck should be in there, but. Oh, yes, me too, me too. Uh, but I'm not. I'm not surprised at the names. I'll put it that way. You know, when you really think about it, the fact that these players are voting on the MVP award, it's kind of surprising that the finalists every single year aren't whoever won the Art Ross, Sidney Crosby, and Kerry Price. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm shocked, frankly. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so I guess they do read the headlines. But uh, yeah, must. yeah. I mean, there's no other way. I mean, who was that? There was that player poll, right? Fucking Carey Price, best goalie in the world. I don't fucking think so. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think I think I think a bunch of guys they read the papers and they post it on the NHLPA message board. These are the guys that are doing well this season, um, <laughs> according to the reporters. I don't know, I don't know how they do it, but uh, yeah, I mean these are the guys. And yeah, as you said, I wouldn't be surprised if these three with the heart. I mean, in that case, Hellebuck would be wrong, but I wouldn't be surprised. Three forwards. It's usually forwards. And these are three forwards. Yeah, and the last award who the finalists are currently revealed for is the Calder Trophy. Finalists Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr, and Dominic Kubalik. And Twitter uh, accordingly erupted into, just as I would have predicted, uh, a chorus of Adam Fox tears. Adam Fox was robbed. Adam Fox was robbed. I wouldn't go so far to say he was robbed. He would have been my pick for number three. And I think, I don't remember who, but at least one um, voter said that Adam Fox was higher than number three on his ballot, which uh, I have a hard time wrapping my head around. But Dominic Kubelik is, I mean, probably would have been my pick after Fox. I think I did have number four because like I th- he is on the older side for a rookie. He's at least 23, I think, but he did score 30 goals, which is very impressive for the first season in the league. Um, I remember when we filled our ballots out, I think I had like uh, Makar, Hughes, Fox, Kubelik, Suzuki, and you had Merzlikens as your number three. Um, and what was who, who was John Marino was also a name that was brought up as a possibility. So pretty strong year for rookies, but definitely a very strong year for rookie defensemen. And we didn't even mention uh, last year's top two picks, Jack Hughes and Capocacco, who y'all be, they did kind of under impress in their rookie seasons. But the most recent year's highest draft picks are usually at least in the discussion for the Calder too. Crazy year for the rookies. Yeah, lots of fucking big names that could have been. Uh, as you said, many names could have been the third nominee, and I wouldn't have had a problem with it. Dominic Kubelik, one of those names. Uh, I don't understand what all those Adam Fox stands are after, but fuck, it's the third. It's the third place. No matter who, no matter who it is, they're gonna finish in third place behind Hughes and McCarr. No matter what that idiot voter has, uh, where no matter where he has Adam Fox, because frankly that's ridiculous. And so, you know, I don't get the uproar. I don't think Adam Fox was robbed of the third place Calder trophy. You know, like, it doesn't make much sense. I don't understand what the uproar is about. And I'm not outraged about it. And neither should you. And neither should anybody. Because who the fuck cares? Because Quinn Hughes or Kale McCarr, one of those guys are going to win the actual Calder trophy. And they'll be very well deserving of it. Much more deserving of it of than uh, Adam Fox, I might add. Whoever it was that put Adam Fox number two on their ballot probably wasn't actually because they think Adam Fox is, was the second best rookie, but probably because, you know, you want to, I don't know exactly how they calculate the the averages of the votes or whatever, but 
I assume it would make it more likely that Fox would finish third. So when you rank these players that you especially like higher than even you think that they deserve to be ranked, then it probably, you know, you're thinking of maybe pulling up the pulling up the score, pulling up the average. And the same goes for if there's a player that you think may win an award who you don't think deserves to, you'll rank them like even one or two spots lower than you would want to, to think of weighing down the average. I don't think that's that's such a, you know, such a kind spirited thing to do it seems to kind of destroy the integrity of the whole thing but we actually one of the most famous incidents of that when it was uh in 2002 when jerome mcginla was like a shoe in for the heart trophy but uh or like it was a two-horse race between aginla and theod and jose theodore but someone just decided to leave aginla off the ballot entirely of like the top five and so jose theodore ended up winning on the tiebreaker of like most first place votes so whoever that was, I think it was like some Montreal reporter, some Homer Homer guy who just wanted Theodore to win the Hart Trophy. So they left Aginla off the ballot, even though like it would have been as outrageous as like leaving Kale McCarr off of this Calder Trophy ballot. Man, if you're strategic voting for any of these awards, let alone the fucking Calder, you should not get a vote. Are you kidding me? Strategic voting for the third place player uh, for Adam Fox. That's absurd. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, and so... To it whatever that cool, is, though, to see like three I mean, defensemen on the ballot. Yeah, it would have been absolutely. But you uh-huh. know, are you serious? You're strategic voting for the Calder, the third place on the Calder. Wild, that's absolutely wild. You but know I what would have been cool though? I guess. Yeah, but I just kind of thought of this like. Jack Hughes, if he had, uh, you know, achieved kind of similarly to recent first overall picks and been a finalist for the Calder with his brother and like Jack Hughes, Quinn Hughes. Uh, in kind of like a, a race for the Calder Trophy you know, with Kale McCarr also too. Like that, that would have been pretty cool to see those two brothers go neck and neck. That would have been nuts. That would have been hella cool. Uh, but yeah, you're under before, sucks. But as I was saying, if you are strategically voting for one of these awards, I kindly ask you to get a life. Um, and yeah, that, that's what I have to say about that. Yeah, all right, that's fair. So in the coming week or so, I think we'll probably get news on the Hart Trophy, Norris Trophy, Selkie Trophy. Uh, am I missing any? You are not. Uh, and so, yeah, they saved the best awards for last. And sure. Oh, yeah, the best. I mean, everyone's favorite, the, the Frank Selkie Trophy. Yeah, okay, fine. Fuck it. <laughs> Good point. Good point. But uh, sure, the Hart and the Norris are there. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what goes on there. And yeah, the Selkie. Who knows who's in? We'll probably see Patrice Bergeron win anyways. All right. Yeah. No, so, I think this is Couturier's uh, year. Anyway, whatever. Okay. Well, anyways, we'll see. We'll see. And so that concludes it for this news in the NHL. And we can move on to our prospect analysis of the week. Yay. We got, we got two guys, two defensemen, because we haven't actually done defensemen since our first week when we did Will Wallander and Emil Andre. And this week... We are doing two players in the WHL, two defensemen who are probably going to end up going in the first round, Caden Gooley and Braden Schneider. Uh, these two guys, at least in my head, I feel like I kind of lump them together in the same boat a lot. Uh, on Bob's list, Caden Gooley is 14 and Braden Schneider is 17. Uh, worth noting, Gooley shoots left, Schneider shoots right. Uh, they're both listed at like six foot two, I think like around. 200 pounds. I think maybe Gooley's a little under 200 pounds, but very similar size as well. Uh, Schneider is uh, a September 20, 2001 birthday, so he is uh, very much on the older end for this draft class. Um, Caden Gooley had 11 goals, 29 assists, 40 points in 64 games 
with Prince Albert with the Prince Albert Raiders this year. And Schneider didn't produce quite as much. He had uh, 8, 16, 24, so 24 points in 58 games with Brandon. And the more I looked into these players, the more I realized uh, why, like, it makes a lot of sense that people who seem to love Gouli also tend to love Schneider. And people who seem to be maybe a little bit a little cooler on Gouli are also a little cooler on Schneider because they are very similar players in a lot of ways. Absolutely. I mean, the pros and cons list for both of these guys, very similar. And profile, they're both, what? They're, they're, they're probably going to, their their profile right now is what? Shut down defensemen, right? They're great on the defensive zone. They both have red flags in the offense. And so let's start with Gouli, all right? Um, and so this guy, very good skater. Actually, they both are very good skaters. And th- this guy's, uh, you know, his big thing, he's probably one of the best defensemen top two this in this draft class. I-, I might add, first of all, that both of these, I think, are greatly boosted by the fact that there aren't many defensemen in this draft class uh, who belong in the first round. And I think that, you know, we- we've seen that there is a prime on the defenseman, and this year in particular for both of these guys. And so, you know, Caden uh, Gooley, this guy's fantastic in the defensive zone. Uh, basically every single aspect, he's excellent, right? But what, you know, red flag triggers a red flag for me, and why I'm not so high on either of these players, but, you know, Gooley in particular, this guy, he's got red flags on offense in terms of ceiling, right? He's okay at everything, you know? He's, he's nothing really stands out, though, and that's the problem, right? With the first round, especially, you know, like you look at the defenseman, right? Uh, and the new modern defenseman that's coming up, right? It's They have to contribute offensively. And the kind of shutdown defenseman model has, you know, its use in the NHL has decreased pretty steadily over the last, you know, number of years. And so, yeah, this guy, he's all right at everything in the the offensive zone. You know, he can pass. He's got all right vision. He's got all right shot. He's got, you know, an okay playmaking ability. But that's not what I want in a, you know, in a first-round prospect, especially, I think, right, in Bob's list, he was in the top 20, top 15. That's the, I don't want I don't want an okay offensive defenseman if I'm investing a top 15 pick into this guy that's completely absurd and so you know that that's that's what does it for me with Caden Gooley. Uh and so look the defensive ability is there absolutely and so I think he does belong in, as in the first round I think I put him as a safe pick uh, because his floor is lower because he's so good in the defensive zone but you floor know if I'm taking him in the top tw- yeah his floor is higher sorry. Uh, and, but you know, if, if I'm a team in the top 15, top 20, even the top 25, I don't know if I want Caden Gooley when there are other players, William Wallander, who we've already profiled, who've got higher ceilings offensively. Yeah. I'd be very hesitant to take Gooley in the top 20 because like kind of, as you said, I feel like players with his type of skill set are, are like, they're pretty common, but like he does have some offensive tools, like, uh, as you like, as you mentioned, kind of, he's like a decent shot, pretty good passer, but like, he's not the kind of defenseman who you want to call on to run your power play, who's or who's going to be like the backbone of your offense, like someone like Jamie Drysdale will be or Kel McCarr, or like maybe even William Wallander has the potential to grow into. Like defensive game is where his value is, and I mean, like it's pretty elite, like elite defensive game, which does count for a lot of value. Like you know, great positionally great gap control and like he can be physical too which teams do still value as we've seen with like st louis and boston making the stanley cup final last year so teams will look at that and say that the physical defensive big defenseman isn't dead and like they're still an important part of 
getting through the playoffs and winning a Stanley Cup. Yeah, but like, as I said, these guys kind of come a dime a dozen in today's NHL because, you know, their role has been greatly reduced, I think. Uh, especially, you know, in the first round, especially if you are investing that top 20 pick, uh, you want your defenseman of the future, hopefully, eventually, if everything pans out well, you know, he'll be your number one defenseman or top pairing defenseman. Uh, when it comes to Caden Gooley, I, I don't really see it. I, you know, like five years down the road, I don't see this guy. As you said, he's not going to be quarterback in the power play. He doesn't have the offensive skill set for that. He doesn't have the vision. Uh, he doesn't have the shot. He, doesn't have, he just doesn't have the offense. Uh, but also, you know, just in general, even as a first-pairing defenseman, I mean, he just I just don't think he brings the offensive skills to the table that are necessary for a first-pair defenseman in today's NHL. And so in that, in that case, what, he can max out as, you know, a very good second-pair defenseman? Great. Sure, put in a late first round, early second round pick on this guy. But do I want to invest a top 20 pick? I don't think so. That's the ceiling uh, for, for Gouley. Yeah, I project also he'll end up being like a, a decent second pair defenseman, but not necessarily someone who moves the needle a tremendous amount. It's kind of like you said, because this draft is very light on defensemen, and Caden Gouley and Schneider are consistently ranked uh, on these things like Bob's List around like, third or fourth best defenseman, which I don't agree with, after Drysdale and Sanderson. And it's very similar to what we saw last year, which was uh, probably an even lighter draft on defensemen. Like, Bowen Byram was probably the only defenseman who should have gone in, like, you could argue the top 15. But, of course, Moritz Sider ended up going number six, Philip Broberg number eight, uh, and several other defensemen down the line went earlier than they should have. Uh, and it, it's funny because, like, 2018 was... Uh, an extremely good draft for defensemen. Like, not even just Rasmus Dahlin, but then like Quinn Hughes, Adam Boquist, Evan Bouchard, Noah Dobson all went in the top 12. And 2021, next year draft, is also supposed to be comparable to 2018 in terms of uh, a lot of elite defensemen near the top of the draft. And these two years in between, 2018 and 2019, are just lower on defensemen. And I don't think we're going to see this year what we saw last year with those defensemen going way too high because there are so much so much more so many more skilled forwards this year than there were last year um but i mean i could kind of see it happening like we see it happening in these rankings with Gullian schneider getting ranked uh consistently in the top 20 um and it's kind of also like the inverse thing from 2018 where we remember montreal was picking third and they quote unquote reached Frida Barrett, Kakanyemi, and then Arizona two picks later with Barrett Hayton when there were probably better defensemen available. So no matter what, I feel like no matter what the surplus is in any given draft year, whatever the surplus isn't, teams are going to be reaching for that earlier than they should. Yeah, and so really the big message here is don't draft positionally, right? Because in that case, you'll be reaching for players because what? If, there's a, if, there, if there happens to be a dip in the number of quality players in that position... Well, you're just going to end up reaching. And it's, it's as you mentioned, it happened with the centers a couple years back and defensemen last year and probably what's going to happen this year. Uh, if we move on to Brayden Schneider, he just kind of feels like a poor man's bread in Caden Gooley, right? Uh, I mean, he's an he's a excellent skater, uh, but, you know, he's just solid offensively. And if I'm putting in a first-round pick, solid offensively in today's NHL, doesn't really do it. And not only that, he doesn't bring, like, he's so, he's smart defensively, but he's nothing, you know, he's not elite uh, like Caden Gooley. And so, you know, he's solid all around. He's a good, he's a good player all around. He's sort of jack of all trades, master of nothing. And the master of nothing was what raised the flag with me. Uh, and so, 
Yeah, he's not going to be quarterback in your power play, much like Caden Gooley. Uh, and so, you know, he's a minutes eater, but the thing, that's what they say about, you know, him and Gooley. But the problem is, what is he going to do in those minutes, no matter how many minutes he plays? If he doesn't really contribute much in the offensive zone, fucking useless. And so, uh, well, not useless, but, you know, less value than a guy who will, you know, chip in, score a bunch of goals, score a bunch of points. Uh, and so, yeah, safe pick, I would say. But, you know, long term, maybe not such a safe pick because I, I personally wouldn't make a pick on this guy because, you know, the ceiling is limited. The floor might be high, but the ceiling is limited. I don't like that as a first round pick. Yeah, the, the term minutes eater, I find to be what a, a big, you know, giveaway in terms of because that means nothing about what a player's ability that all that means is the coach plays them a lot. Like if you put me in the WHL and put me on the ice for 26 minutes a game, I could crawl around the ice and scouts would call me a minutes eater. So not, not saying Braden Schneider is anywhere close to as bad as I am, but like, I kind of agree with you that I prefer Caden Gooley. Uh, except, but like, cause like with Schneider, the offensive tools I think are like even more limited with him. Like I could conceive Caden Gooley developing those offensive tools because he kind of like has the vision and he's pretty decent at these things and he could get up to a higher level. I don't really, I don't really see that happening as much with Braden Schneider because he's really like not a flashy player at all. But when you've got a big defenseman who skates very well and shoots right, you can see why a lot of teams may be eager to take this player earlier than maybe they should. Yeah. I mean, this guy scored about 40 points in a season in the WHL. I mean, and 24. that was supposed to be his big... 24. Schneider scored 24. Fucking yeah. words. Jesus Christ. I mean, and that's supposed to be his... What? It was his best offensive season yet or some shit? And that's why he's a first-round prospect this season? I mean, fucking no thank you. Um, that's that's all I have to say. I mean, I'm Brendan Schneider. Just red flags, and I don't, I don't even know if I would take him in the first round. I mean, talent-wise, I don't, I don't think he's a first-round prospect. Uh huh. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, before we looked into these guys, I had Schneider ranked a little higher than Gooley. Now, after looking into it more, I would flip that around. Um, I uh, would probably have Gooley in the late twenties, and I'd probably have Schneider uh, maybe mid to late thirties. Really? I, I, you know, fuck. I'd push him even. You know, I push him further down, maybe forties. I would say back end of the forties. Uh, look, given the height. Don't, he's not going to follow the 40s, especially the, with the, the prime that's put on defensemen. But look, the premium that they put on defensemen. But uh, just, I, I don't know. I don't see it. There's no ceiling. There's no fucking ceiling on this guy. And so, you know, I don't want to fuck. I don't even want to spend a pick in the 30s uh, or even in the early 40s for this guy because I just, I, like, what's his ceiling? What, like, okay second pairing defenseman? Like, yeah, at least Gooley is like a good second pairing defenseman. This guy... I really don't see how his skills will really translate into anything meaningful in the NHL. He's just going to be a guy, a guy in the NHL. And I really don't see him panning out much more than that. If I wanted to predict where these guys are going to land, uh, I do expect they'll both end up going in the top 20. Um, I feel like maybe if Florida ends up picking around 15, that they would be one of the teams that may take a flyer on one of these guys because their defensive pipeline is pretty bare. Also, same kind of in the same boat is the New Jersey Devils, who if Vancouver beats Minnesota, then Vancouver's pick goes to New Jersey, which will probably be around number 17, I think. And there's a team who is probably going to be very interested in taking uh, either Schneider or Gooley. Top 20? Really? You think both of them go top 20? Uh, well, I mean, I, Bob's I, I, list I, is usually pretty telling about those kinds of okay, things. Okay. And 
yeah, so that's that's what I, I predict that neither one of them is going to fall out of the top 20. Uh, maybe one of them a little bit, but definitely not both. You know, if they, if I think, I think both teams, if you pick them inside the top 20, Schneider in particular, I think you're, I think you're making a mistake. Yep, I, I really don't, I, I just really don't like either of these players as a top 20 pick, you know, solid safe pick. If we're talking about, you know, very, the very end of the first round, you know, second round, it's a safe pick. Good for you. But top 20, really, when you're looking for that home run, no, I just, it's a no for me for both of these players. But, you know, Schneider, I just, I, I don't understand the hype. I guess it really is just, you know, there aren't many defensemen and you're really, there are slim pickings. And that's why he's really rocking up the board because I just, I don't see what he brings to the table. I really think the, what the scouts see is big and fast. And they think, oh, big and fast, that's pretty nice. And shoots, right? We can work with that. And like those three things uh, are worth at least 10 draft slots uh, in the first round in the eyes of some scouts. Yeah, that's fair. That's, well, I, I wouldn't agree, but I guess that's what they do think. Not only that, Schneider shoots right, right? And we all love our big, fast, right-handed defensemen. Um, but my projection is guy in the NHL. And 10 years from now, I'm like, oh, yeah, Brandon Schneider, very pair defenseman on the fucking Dallas Stars. <laughs> Dallas. All right, is that your prediction? He's going to Dallas? No, I think he's going to end up on Dallas via trade. That's my or, call. Like, or is he going to sign there as a free agent? Yeah, sure. It'll be one of the NHL middle class. In 10 years, he'll be in Dallas in his comfy third pairing role. All right. All right. Cool, cool. Um, so uh, I guess that, that wraps it up for this week's profiles. Uh, I don't know if we're going to like continue doing these as the, the play-in rounds and the playoffs get going or if there just won't be enough time to talk about the draft with all the games going on. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll make decisions on that. Uh, but one more thing for this week's episode is, of course, the trivia portion. Yes, here we go. My turn as the quiz master. Uh, and, you know, I went back. And uh, six weeks. And my quiz format then, you know, I kind of liked it. I really did like that quiz format. And so I repeated it. Uh, and uh, if you don't recall, it was who he scored more for. The quiz show where I name you a player and you got to tell me which team he has scored the most goals for in his career. And so last time, it ran long. I had 18 players. This time, I've cut it to a solid 10. All right. Okay. So if this I time remember, around, I give you... If I remember correctly, last time we played this game, I did not win. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. I think you just missed out on the threshold that we set. Uh, just as a reminder, this time around, you got two lifelines wherein... I list you the teams in the chronological order for which he played for. Okay. And do you have a number in mind for the threshold? No. You got anything? You know how this game works. Uh, I, I will tell you right now. What was the threshold last time? I don't remember. It was, It was. I think it was like 13 or out of 18. Okay. Uh, and you just missed it. So what do we think? I'm thinking like six or seven. Yeah, or I was going to say... I was going to say seven. I think that's a pretty fair challenge for me. Okay. And I'll tell you right now, they're mostly active players. So, you know. Okay. It should, okay. The, that's the vast majority good. are active. All right. So they're... Okay. All right. Ready? Yep. I'm ready. Okay. Here we go. First player. All right. For who he scored more for, part two, Mike Smith. Who he scored Mike, more for. Oh, oh, come. Okay. He has scored one goal in his career. 
unless he scored two. Uh, but I don't think he scored three. And at least one of them was with the Coyotes. So, Arizona Coyotes. All right. Off to a good start. Uh, so, yes, you're right. He scored one goal in his career. It was until Pecorine scored this last season, the last uh, goalie goal to have happened, and he scored it with the Coyotes. Uh, so, yeah, one career goal for Mike Smith, and it was with the Arizona Coyotes. Moving on. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, we're going on a, a bit of a theme for the next four guys, and the theme is Vegas Golden Knights. And so, here we go. Ryan Reeves, who we score more for? Ryan Reeves played like half a season with Pittsburgh. He's been with Vegas for like two and a half years now, which, yeah, wow, that's a long time. But I know he was with the Blues for a very long time before he went to Pittsburgh. So I'm going to guess the St. Louis Blues. All right. You're correct. He scored four with Pittsburgh in that tiny stint. Uh, He scored 27 over, I think it's, what, seven seasons with the Blues. And he's already up to 17 with the Golden Knights. And so a bit of a late season, uh, late career resurgence for Mr. Reeves. But he hasn't yet caught up to his St. Louis toes. And so, yeah, a couple solid, a very good start. Two for two. Okay. Next up, another Vegas Golden Knight. Nate Schmidt. Who we score more for? Ooh, okay. Hmm. Nate Schmidt. So he was an expansion pick from uh, from the Washington Capitals. And all right. So now he would have been like done three seasons with Vegas. I don't think he played three full seasons with Washington. I think he was like a. He might have just had like one or one and a half seasons out of college with Washington, and he didn't even really hit a stride it either. So I'm guessing Vegas Golden Knights. Okay. Uh, you're correct again. 21. I think he's, awesome. he's played, played two full seasons with Washington, plus parts of two other seasons. So, you know, he's, I think he's played – it's it's like half-half in terms of games, but he has scored double the goals, more than double, in Vegas. It's 21-8, to eight, Vegas over Washington, 3-for-3. Three three. All righty. All righty. Here we go. Okay. Well, we're getting harder. The, the first few ones are easier, and we're ramping up the difficulty as we go. Okay. All right, all right. Next up, we have Jonathan Marcheseau, who he scored more for. Okay, Jonathan Marcheseau did, like, nothing with Tampa. He had, was it one or two really good seasons with Florida? Uh, I think, I'm pretty sure it was just one. And now he's had, like, three seasons with Vegas playing at that similar level. So, once again, I'm going to guess he scored more for Vegas Golden Knights. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't very close. It wasn't very close on this one. 74 goals with Vegas. Only 30 with Florida. 8 with Tampa Bay. Nothing with Columbus, where he started his career. Oh, yeah, yeah he did, didn't four. he? Yeah, he did start there. And so, okay, we're ramping it up now. All right? We gotta, we gave you a few softballs to start it off, you know, build up the old confidence machine. Next oh, up, yeah. Oh, yeah. James, James Neal. Who we score more for? Oh, hmm. Okay. James Neal. He started with Dallas. He played, I want to say, like, I don't know, around three seasons there. He went to Pittsburgh after that. He had, like, a 40-goal season, and he was there for three years. He was traded to Nashville in 2014 for Patrick Hornquist and Nick Spalling, and he stayed in Nashville for three seasons until the expansion draft. He played... 
uh, one season with Vegas, then one season with Calgary, and now one season with Edmonton. I didn't realize how much he's been around till it's all it's all coming out now. Uh, I'm thinking either Pittsburgh or Nashville because he spent the longest amount of time there. Uh, I think it was three seasons each. Uh, and I think it was maybe like I think it was mid-season traded to Pittsburgh. I think it was like three and a half seasons with Pittsburgh, plus the not to mention like he had a forty-goal season. So and also you know playing with either Malkin or Crosby for pretty much that entire stint with the Penguins. So that's my guess. I'm guessing Pittsburgh. Okay, you are correct. Five answers yeah. in a row. He Bam. scored eighty-nine with Pittsburgh over three and a. Three and a bit. Uh, he's that one 20 game stint in that first season with Pittsburgh. He only scored one goal. But uh, yeah, 89 in Pittsburgh, 77 in Nashville, 72 in Dallas. And uh, the other ones, 25 with Vegas, 19 with Edmonton this season, 7 with Calgary in that disaster. Uh, solid career, six teams for James Neal. Uh, and he scored more for Pittsburgh. All right. Next up, what we got? We got. Uh, Edmonton theme for like two questions. All right. Cool. Adam Larson. Who are we scoring more for? Oh, all right. Let's think about this. Adam Larson was drafted 2011. I think, I don't, I don't think he made the NHL immediately, but I think in like the lockout year was when he made his debut. So that was the 12, 13 season. Uh, then 14, 15, 16. So that's like kind of three and a half seasons with the Devils. And since then, it's been like three seasons with the Oilers. So pretty much an even split in time. Uh, I know he hasn't done much scoring with the Oilers, but I'm pretty sure he didn't do much scoring with the Devils either. Uh, I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess the Oilers just because like he was probably he was like 20 to 23 age with the devils and it probably took him a while to, to get going in the NHL. So I'm going to guess the Oilers. Okay. So Adam Larson has played what the equivalent of about four seasons with the devils over five years. Uh, and he played four seasons, mostly full seasons with Edmonton. And yeah, so he scored 21 goals in his career and they are split 12 to nine. He scored nine in New Jersey and twelve in Edmonton, and so the streak continues six in a row. And also, right. I just I added him, I added him because I wanted to point out that the Oilers really did trade Taylor Hall for a guy who had scored nine career goals in the NHL, and I thought that was pretty good. Wow. No, well, when you really spend a, spend a minute and think about the Hall for Larson trade, it's it's kind of like when you look at yourself in the mirror too long and you start to look weird. When you think about the Hall for Larson trade for too long, it starts to kind of mess with your perception of reality. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fucking bonkers. That's Peter Shirelli for you, I gotta say. Uh, yeah. I mean, MVP, a Hart Trophy winner for a dude who scored 21 goals in his career. Nine when you traded for him. That's spectacular. All right. Next up. Another, okay, this time he's a bad contract, but here we go. Brandon Sutter of the Vancouver Brandon Canucks. Sutter. Who he scored more Brandon for. Sutter. He played a little with the Hurricanes. He was traded to Pittsburgh in the Jordan Stahl trade. He was traded to Vancouver for Nick Benino and, like, other stuff. And that was in 2015. 
So that means he spent like the lockout year plus two more seasons with Pittsburgh. And since then, he's been with the Canucks, which is, I think he had some very good seasons with Pittsburgh and like maybe one or two with Carolina. But just the the volume of time he spent in Vancouver. Oh, but he has been injured for a lot of it. Oh, man, this one might be tougher than I think. You know, what? I'm going to go, I'm going to say like five years compared to two and a half. So I'm going to say he has scored more for the Canucks. Okay. So between Pittsburgh and Vancouver, it's actually a tie, 45 apiece, because he scored the most with his first team, Carolina, 53 goals. And so that was the correct answer. He was there for four seasons. Uh, His rookie season was 2008, 2009. And he spent four pretty full seasons there. His first season played 50 games, and then 72, then a couple of 82s. And uh, yeah. I thought he had. I thought he had barely played. Yeah. I thought he had only had played like one or two seasons with the Hurricanes before he got traded. But I guess I was wrong. Yeah, he had a twenty goal season with the Hurricanes in two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and uh, a feat he's only replicated once since. And so the streak is over. Six out of seven now. Brandon Sutter, the first mistake of this quiz. All, All right, right, I got to get go. one out of these next three to win. Okay. All right. What should we do next? Hmm. Okay. Former Montreal Canadian. Nate Thompson. Who we score more okay. for? Who Nate Thompson? Man, okay. You know, I'm gonna use one of my lifelines here because I know he's been around quite a lot, but uh I would like to okay. I would like to get it all straightened out. This man's played for eight teams. Uh so almost a third of the league. Uh so he started his career off in Boston, then he went to New York, the Islanders, uh the Lightning. The Ducks, the Senators, the Kings, then to the Habs, then finally where he currently resides in Philadelphia. I'm thinking either Tampa or Anaheim because uh, I know he was with both of those. I think for his longest stint there, he was barely in Ottawa or L.A. for any time at all. Uh, And Montreal either pretty short stint, like just about a year. Philadelphia's been there for like two weeks worth of games, so it's definitely not them. I don't know how much you really played with the Bruins or the Islanders. So, uh, yeah, it could be one of them because I just don't know if he played like six seasons with the Islanders or something, and I just don't know about it. I'm thinking either Tampa or Anaheim, uh, and I'm leaning heavily towards the Lightning because, yeah, I feel like maybe the Ducks wasn't too long of a stint either, just like maybe two seasons. That's my gut feeling, so... Tampa Bay Lightning. That is my guess. All right. On an absolute tear. And that's it. The quiz The quiz has been won. Yeah. In a relatively efficient time. Because he scored the vast majority of his goals uh, in Tampa Bay. 36 goals in Tampa Bay over, I think, five seasons. And uh, he scored 62 as a whole. And he scored nine in Ottawa. Uh, nine in Anaheim. Four in Ottawa. Three with the Islanders. Five with the Kings. Five with the Habs. And nothing with Philly since he was traded. How about Boston? Boston, he's got nothing. Nothing in Boston. Oh. Played four games in Boston and left. All right. Good uh, thing I didn't pick those. All right. Oh, can I get the, the last two guys just to see if I can right. score at 90%? Okay. All right. So we're at 70% right now. Um, here we go. Carl Hagelin. Who we score more for? Carl Hagelin started his career with the Rangers. Uh, and he jumped around a lot to Anaheim, Pittsburgh, L.A., Washington. I feel like he had a 20-goal season with the Rangers or something. 
And I think he was there for like at least two or three seasons. So I'm going to guess the Rangers. Okay. So he spent four seasons in both Pittsburgh and the Rangers. He's never had a 20-goal season. Oh. Um, his career high was 17, which he's done twice, with the Rangers, where, yes, he has scored the most goal of the Rangers. Yay. Uh, 58, 27. 27 was where he uh, played in Pittsburgh. He only got 27 goals in four years. That's a bit surprising. Oh. But, uh, okay. Well, three and a half seasons. But, yeah. All right. Uh, and lastly, I wanted to know if you learned anything from six weeks ago when you did fail. And so I brought somebody back. Uh, from that last uh oh, uh oh, it's your boy, former Hab, John Scott. Who we score more for? Oh yeah, I remember this one. He scored more for the San Jose Sharks. Don't even need a lifeline. Wow, look at that. There he goes. Ninety percent on this quiz. Yeah. Uh, that is correct for three goals with the Sharks. All right. Okay. All right, a very successful quiz for you. I gotta say, very successful quiz for me. All right, uh, so now that I know we're allowed to to reuse old formats, uh, I might look into doing just that for next week. But maybe not. Okay. Maybe not. I'll see if I come up with any other kind of genius idea that I can use. All right, as long as you don't go back to the five year roster thing from you know the oh, yeah. an hour and a yeah, half. That one. <laughs> That oh, okay. took like not even like fifty six minutes or something. Don't worry, I will not. I will not go to that. I will try to keep quiz times at twenty minutes maximum. This one was about like fifteen minutes long, so I think that's a, an appropriate length. All right. So, you got anything else to add before we wrap it up this week? Next week we're going to be doing our our I guess play in preview slash round robin preview, and we're going to be predicting stuff, the outcomes of each series. Uh, ooh, I just thought maybe we'll have like special bonus predictions, like uh, I don't know, specific players that are gonna score a certain number of assists or whatever, and maybe we'll even do some round robin predictions, shots in the dark, just for fun. So that'll be the the bulk of next week next week's episode. So look forward to that. That's it for this week's episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Fusion and Hockey Podcast. You can rate us five stars on Apple Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter, which I uh, I haven't really plugged at all, I don't think. But uh, I put the handles in the, the description of the podcast every time. So if you want to uh, start following us there, then maybe we'll start tweeting more. Yeah, sounds good. All right, see you next week, everybody. This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sandborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sandborn's Boys today.